Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 219. Hey, my riches, I hope you are all feeling great and eager to start the new week. I'm saying that because I believe that once your entrepreneurship is about what you really love doing and what you are really good at, you will succeed. I often been asked, what is a good big idea for entrepreneurship? And my answer is that building your entrepreneurial success should start with recognizing what makes you one of a kind. My guest today, Jason Zilberband, has the largest aircraft appraisal firm in the world with a $300 million credit facility and over $4.5 billion in completed aircraft transactions. Jason shows that success starts with finding what you are really good at. Let's hear his story. Jason Zilberband is the president of VREF Aircraft Value References and Appraisal Services. He is an Air Credit Senior Aircraft Appraiser with the American Society of Appraisers and an accredited member of the Appraiser National Association. And he is also an accredited member of the International Society of Appraisers, expert witness, broker, inventory dealer, acquisition agent, aircraft owner, aircraft operator, contract negotiator, consultant, teacher, conference speaker, and author. Jason Zilberpend, hey, how are you? I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, Hyatt. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you here, and I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? Sure. Okay, so my passion is appraising aircraft. That's what I do full-time today. Um, it's been a long journey getting to, um, to be a full-time aircraft appraiser, but that is what um, my focus is. What does it mean? What are you doing? So what I do um, on a daily basis is I help buyers and sellers of airplanes, and that ranges from small little piston aircraft like Cessnas to commercial aircraft like you would fly on an airline. Uh, so most of my clients are either financial institutions yeah. that provide loans on this type of equipment, or I deal with... Um, a lot of you know individual buyers of these aircraft who are either looking to deal with some sort of estate planning or refinancing. Um, aircraft appraisals are used just like they are on the real estate side. So anytime there is a financing requirement, the borrower would have to go ahead and, and obtain um, an appraisal. So that is what my firm does. My firm's the largest aircraft appraisal firm in the world. Wow. Uh, we do a couple thousand uh, 
desktop appraisals a year. And we also manage the, if you're familiar with Kelly's Blue Book for Cars, we manage a similar software platform uh, for aircraft values. Mm. So we track um, about 560 different models, about 8,000 different assets. And then we publish our data uh, to a subscriber base of over a half a million. And those subscribers, they create about 16,000 valuations a month in our platform. And, uh, and it's pretty fascinating. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you go to listing sites where you see aircraft for sale, typically they're, they're using our data to, to generate those asking prices. Such a cool entrepreneurship or company, I must say. How did you get there? How did you start? What was your career path? Yeah, it's a very niche market. So I started off um, actually in a family business that was an aviation insurance company. So right out of college, I went and worked for the family business, and I did that for a decade. Um, it was all business jets. So I, I cut my teeth in the industry working with um, what are today considered, you know, the classic business jets. And these were airplanes that were used by, you know, Fortune 500 companies and high net worth individuals, and they were flying them globally. And so uh, my, my father's company, he provided coverage for maintenance. And I did that for a decade. Um, and then as I was progressing in the, the company, I started getting uh, requests from clients to assist them in, in helping them buy airplanes. And that was really when uh, the light bulb started to go off that there were things that I could do in aviation that weren't necessarily tied to the family's business. So I started to explore buying and selling aircraft. And eventually I did leave the insurance company and started a inventory dealership, like a car dealership, except we had planes instead of cars. <laughs> and, uh, and I did that through, through 2013 full time. And when the recession hit in 2008, I started to appraise more and more airplanes. And I think it just was a natural progression in my career. I'm a gearhead by nature. I'm very passionate about machinery and I love cars and Mm -hmm. boats and planes. And so I got to be around them all the time. And that drove my passion even more. Um, And then I just got to a certain point in life where I had accumulated so much uh, knowledge and data about all this equipment uh, that I was able to apply it towards valuing them full time. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily an easy task trying to figure out what something is worth that was built 30 or 40 years ago, but that's what we do. We come, you know, with the data prepared to be able to provide a pretty complex appraisal work, whether it's estate planning or, um, you know, Fortune 500 flight department, um, I praise the FAA's aircraft. Um, it's it's a very dynamic industry, and <laughs> and so that's kind of my my path to uh, to how I got into doing this. And I must ask, do you fly airplanes as well? So when I was younger, I had some seat time. I've got about thirty five or forty hours. You know, flying aircraft is a big time devotion. And I just, unfortunately, between the kids and my career, I just don't have the time anymore, you know, to dispose of. But as I get older, you know, things change. And it's certainly something that uh, that I wouldn't mind taking on, you know, when I get uh, when I get the, the free time later in life. Hmm. And do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? 
Yeah, I was born into an entrepreneurial family. So my dad did a whole bunch of different businesses and sold them all when I was a child. I mean, he gave parking lots and salad dressing businesses and uh, weight loss meal program companies. And I mean, you name it, he had his hand in it. And so from very early on, I was just completely um, enamored with how people made their money. I still am today. I mean, I think it's a, it's really neat that I get to do what I do because I get to find out, you know, how people made the, um, the money to be able to afford such expensive equipment. But when I was younger, I was fascinated because I wanted to own my own company and I was always interested in how people uh, were able to earn a living. And, and then funny enough, I went into the most difficult uh, business there is, which is selling an intangible contract. But um, yeah, I've always been an entrepreneur and, and I think that that's why I enjoy what I do today so much because I do get to run a business and I get to, um, you know, try new products and really spend a lot of time devoted to our software development. And so I get to wear a lot of different hats and deal with a lot of different, you know, aspects of the business and then also um, still do uh, a tremendous amount of appraisal work. So I, I have a unique perspective and seeing what happens in a very large industry and the data comes to me every day. I'm not out looking for it. So it, it's pretty neat. It is pretty neat. As an entrepreneur, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that listening to us right now regarding customer focus or anything that has to do about approaching new customers? So I think it's really easy for entrepreneurs to lose focus. I think a lot of entrepreneurs try and take on too much or maybe have a really big project they're trying to, to complete. And I think some of the the tricks that I use are to try and create a, obtainable goals and try and set those goals every day so that eventually you hit the big goal, but you're not taking on such a, a massive size project. And so one of the ways to do that is really to look inward and see what your, your strengths are and then try and bring other people in that can bridge the gap of your weaknesses. And I think that's one of the things that is easier said than done. But as I've aged, I've found that I've gotten pretty good at delegating and not taking on everything. And so I think you have to trust those that you delegate work to, which is another big challenge for entrepreneurs. You know, we're all very, uh, it is. right. We like to be micromanagers. So you have to trust the people that you hire or don't hire them. And I think, I don't know, I, you know, entrepreneurs are funny because the truth is we all just want to hire a bunch of ourselves, right? We just want to clone ourselves. And then that way, you know, we don't have to deal with the management aspect of it. But the entrepreneurs I have found to be most successful are the ones that know how to let go. You know, they know how to bring help in and they know how to delegate and they know how to let it happen and manage it in a way that's respectful to the team and creates, you know, a productive, motivating environment. Whereas, I think we've all worked for some pretty nasty people and, you know, the boss that goes on tirade, you know, decides to scream at everybody in the office or doesn't know how to build momentum. I think we've seen, you know, how quickly you can stymie growth. So I don't know, being an entrepreneur is a loaded, uh, hmm. it's a lot of responsibilities, but I think you have to know what you know, and then you have to admit to what you don't and try and bring people in that you can trust to, you know, to, to kind of bring up your weaknesses. Hmm, love that. And um, 
you've got successes and we'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to ask you, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most? So I think um, it kind of is, uh, it goes under the category of communication. And I think one of the, the biggest failures I think that anybody can have is making the assumption that the other person or the customer sees things from your perspective. And when you're young, I think, uh, or at least when I was, I had the tendency to, uh, to explode on people who are looking for help who might not have done it in such a respectful way. And so today, I'm really good at walking around the block. I take a breath. <laughs> I, I leave the negative emails for a day. And I let myself kind of relax and calm down so that I don't send something, uh, especially today in writing, that I'm going to regret tomorrow. And so my biggest failure, unfortunately, was burning bridges with some you know, potentially really important customers because I didn't care uh, to engage with them the way that they wanted to engage with me. So, you know, the younger version of myself, I would say, you know, be nicer and try to be more understanding and try and be more patient. Not everybody moves at the speed that you move. <laughs> but that that's my, I think, my biggest issue. Love this answer. And now... I would like you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customers. So my biggest success, I think, comes with, uh, with the new business, and that is trusting the fact that the customer base was going to be able to adapt to change. And what I mean by that is I had a very long established software program that was about 15 to 20 years old that I was going to redevelop and redeploy and it was going to be brand new built from scratch. And I think, you know, despite maybe not trusting your instinct, or despite not knowing exactly what the outcome is going to be, I stuck to my guns. And I, I said that this was going to be the future and continuously worked on it until I got past that point where the customers weren't ready for the change. And, you know, I think that's a really, it, it was a, a huge, um, a huge project to take on and something that I'm very proud of, but you know, along the way, there were a lot of bumps in the road. And I think so one of the things that I did really well, which I probably wouldn't have done my younger version of myself is that I communicated openly with our customer base. And I told them that what was going on. And I, I really, um, not so much demanded, but really stayed on top of people, you know, for feedback and let them know what we were doing and why we were doing it. And so the old Jason would beg forgiveness and the new Jason asked permission. And so my biggest success today is asking permission before I go down a path that might, you know, whether it's even, you know, personal or with my wife or I talk about things instead of just making decisions in my own little world. And, um, and I think that that is really uh, demonstrated not only to the industry, to, but to our client base that we're dedicated to them and that we're here to assist them with complex problems and be, be somebody they can trust to solve them. Mm. And Jason, can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer focus marketing or sales? However... I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. 
I'm looking for something that really helps you succeed and might help other entrepreneurs as well. So there are two pieces of technology that I rely on daily. And honestly, I don't know what I did with either one of them before. One is Grasshopper. And for people that don't know what Grasshopper is, it's a virtual receptionist. And it allows me to have numerous dedicated phone lines to all divisions of my business and have them feed into a central location, whether that's my phone and if I'm on the road or after hours and I want to forward everything from my office. But it also allows me to have a written transcript of everything that occurs. So I am incredibly organized. And so one of the things I love about Grasshopper is that when somebody leaves a voicemail message, it's in writing and it's there forever in a file cabinet and I can always go back to it and I never have to worry about it getting deleted. Um, and then I can also manage my staff. So I can forward uh, voicemails internally. Um, I know if somebody's trying to reach one of my staff members and is unable to, and it really has just made, you know, running a small business, it's the difference between sometimes people being able to get a hold of us and not. And I think one of the things that I'm really proud of is the fact that our response time is so quick. And that's one of the tools I use to ensure that our response time is fast. So if you can't get a hold of me personally through my cell phone or texting or, or through Grasshopper, the other piece of technology I rely heavily on, and this is something that you'd have to have one of your developers do if you have a marketing website, but I have a chat feature built into my website. And so okay. from a multitasking standpoint, it allows me to be an effective communicator with customers. And I know most customers don't want to pick up the phone and call. So they'll ask questions, whether they're, they're technical or administrative, and either myself or one of my staff members is able to, um, in real time, communicate and solve problems quickly. And those are the two things that I think make a huge difference in, my, um, in freeing up time so that I can devote you know, that time to other things. Thank you for this uh, recommendation. Actually, both are unique, so I'm very happy with that. You know, there are many factors that affect one's success. However, I do believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really helps us succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? So my one key success factor is having mentors, having the ability to go to people who are not related to me, who don't owe me anything, who don't have to tell me what I want to hear, but more importantly, tell me what I need to hear or tell me how things are, or maybe answer difficult questions or give me guidance. And, you know, I'm almost 50 now. And so when I started in, uh, in corporate aviation, I was in my very early 20s. I just turned 21. And I was very fortunate to have not one, but, you know, two or three really great mentors who took the time out of their life to coach me and give me guidance and, and steer me in directions that were positive. And I think that's one of the big things that's missing today. And I don't necessarily blame the young generation. I think they, they might be in a situation where they don't really understand what the definition of a mentor is. But I also know that my age group has been very reluctant to kind of give back. And so I think it goes both ways. So one of the things that I try and do all the time is um, make sure that you know, my door is open if somebody's young and just getting into the appraisal environment or just getting into the industry. And if they need help or um, if there's anything I can do to, to guide them and prevent them from making mistakes like I made, that's what it's all about. Um, 
So I think that's one of the, the huge advantages I had was just having people that, you know, could set the stage properly, not only for my expectations, but my career path. Hmm. My final question before I'll ask you what is the best way to connect with you. My last question is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been imagining this journey of entrepreneurship as climbing a mountain. Step after step after step. And then when you reach the peak, you're usually looking to climb a higher peak. And sometimes you need to go down a bit. And at some point, I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you, whether you ever climbed a mountain or wished to climb a mountain, or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? That's a great question. So mm-hmm. I am very passionate about um, being physically fit, and I'm a triathlete, and I've done Ironmans and wow. uh, marathons and spent a considerable amount of time on a bicycle. And so one of the things that I do is I have a um, computer simulator that runs in my office with a bike. And during lunch, I have a desk set up and I will ride for an hour during lunch. And the program I use is called Zwift. And it's, uh, it's a virtual cycling environment. But one of the programs you can run is Mount Everest. And so one of my wow. biggest accomplishments is riding Mount Everest. And I have done um, elevation wise, like, oh, gosh, in the past three years, I've done almost 400,000 feet. Wow. So it's pretty wild. So yeah, I've I've actually climbed it. I have climbed it virtually, but it's really neat is when you get to the top of Mount Everest in Zwift, the uh, torture has just begun because you're not even halfway there. So once you get to the top, another mountain peak exists. And I mm-hmm. think it, it's very representative of life, right? Every time you have uh, accomplished a big goal or met you know, something that you've tried to, to do, there's another big task waiting and you have to keep pushing yourself if you want to grow and you want to be you know, successful. And so it's uh it's funny. There's a lot of a lot of the entrepreneurs that that I get to talk to are extreme fitness fanatics. And I don't know if it's because we're we're all so competitive and it's just another way to release the the competitiveness or if it helps us keep structured, but I think uh it's interesting your question because it, it reminds me of all the conversations I've had with all the uh with all the fitness people and yeah, climbing mountains in real life is a lot of work. It is not easy. Hmm, no. Jason, what is the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? Sure. Uh, so my personal email is jason at vref.com, and that's v-r-e-f.com. And our website is vref.com. And I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. And, um, and yeah, if anybody ever has any questions or needs help or is just looking for some guidance, or maybe you're interested in aviation and you just want you know, somebody to, to, to ask some questions, I'm here and uh, I hope to hear from you. Mm, that's great. And we will put all these links in the show notes of this interview. Jason, I would like to thank you so much for coming today and for being with us. It has been a pleasure talking with you. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you so much, Hyatt, for for having me on the show, and I I hope uh, to talk to you again. Hmm, Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach 
or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.